Today, we're talking to Elad, co-founder and CEO at Wing Cloud, about how they're creating an entirely new programming language. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. Now, the way I found out about you guys, I was scrolling through LinkedIn, and I saw this company raised a bunch of money, and that they were building a new programming language, and I was like, what? <laughs> uh, there's a lot of programming languages. Why? What are they doing? And then I started digging into it, and I thought it was absolutely fascinating. So I was hoping you could tell me like what Wing Cloud is and why you decided to make this new language. Yeah, obviously that's the first question everybody's asking. I, I think the easiest way to think about it is is that if you think about cloud and how we're building applications for the cloud you're realizing that the the tools that we're using to build those applications, like like the programming languages, they're generally designed for computers as machines. And so, you know, throughout the history of, you know, programming, we've developed programming languages to tell machines what to do. That, that was the original reason why humans invented programming languages, right? Because like, I'm, I'm creating some kind of like human readable, uh, syntax in order to tell one machine what to do. And that's what programming languages are great, uh, you know, great for. And throughout the history of programming languages, we've slowly evolved those par- this paradigm of telling the machine what to do. And we're today at the point where we, and, and again, when I'm talking about programming language, I'm, I'm talking about the programming stack in a sense. It's the language, it's the standard library, it's the operating system, it's like everything that I use in order to you know, implement my business logic, my application you know, functionality on, on that machine. And, and we've, re- we've reached a point where we really do have a great abstraction for that. You know, when I open up a Java program or a Node.js program or a Python program or you know, I really do have a great abstraction for this one, for this concept of a machine, right? I want to write a file that I just do fs.write file. I want to allocate a dictionary in memory. I do new dictionary. I don't care about the mechanics. I don't care about how much memory I need in the RAM. I don't care about the structure of my files and my file system, right? Like all of those things are abstracted away from me. And not only they're abstracted away from me, I actually have a pretty portable abstraction in that sense, right? Like I can actually take this Python program and run it everywhere, right? I can write it on, on Linux and Mac and Unix and uh, wherever I want. And it'll, it'll, in most cases, from a functional perspective, it'll behave the same, in the same way. And so if you look back, and I'm old enough, <laughs> I'm old enough to look back uh, and I've programmed in like basic and C and Pascal and C++ and Visual Basic and uh, uh, you know, Objective C and Swift and and all like and so if you look at back at this like history of programming languages, you've realized this is what we've been doing. We've been basically perfecting this abstraction um, for for a machine. And and now you look at cloud applications, systems, services, and you realize we're no longer building applications that run on a machine. We're building applications that run on this distributed system. Uh, that includes all these managed services that runs on, you know, where my code is running on all these like containers and serverless functions and jobs and uh, workflows and 
And the languages haven't caught up to that new paradigm in a sense, right? Like the languages that we use are basically designed to tell one piece of cloud what to do at every single point, right? So as you write your code and you use this amazing abstraction that we've created for this one machine, and then you compile it, and then you get this executable. You say, okay, so now I have this one, one executable that knows how to run on one machine. How is that related to my cloud application? That's out of scope for the compiler. That's out of scope for the language, right? Like that's a different thing. And then what happened is obviously we as engineers needed to solve this problem. And so we started creating tools to orchestrate the execution of those, of those single machine Ex, you know, programs. And so we created things like Kubernetes and we created things like serverless and we created things like infrastructure as code and we created things like CICT technology. And all of those tools are, are generally designed to stitch together all of these small little programs. So to form my cloud system or my cloud application, right? Like that's basically the, the, the reason those tools exist. And, and, and I think each one of those tools is extremely powerful and valuable. And it's like this amazing innovation, amazing technology behind it. But those tools were particularly designed for, for how to run my application. They're not designed on how to describe my application. <clears throat> and so what happens is you end up as a developer having to describe your, your application in a very piecemeal way, right? Like you said, okay, I'm, I'm going to write my Python code and that describes how this one node is, you know, interacting with the world. But then I'm going to write my Terraform to describe the infrastructure. So I'm going to learn how to use HCL and I'm going to write Terraform. I'm going to need to like understand all the cloud resources and all their surface area and all their... And I'm going to need to basically specify my CI/CD pipelines. And so I'm going to learn this new tool that specifies my CI/CD pipeline. And I'm going to need to take my code and bundle it and upload it to the cloud and make sure that it, you know, my infrastructure references. And so you end up spending 80% of your energy just by just gluing together all those pieces because we don't have a unified model that can describe the entire system. And, and this is what Winglang is, right? Like it's basically this, it's a language that's designed to think about the cloud as this computing computing platform. And, and I don't think that there are other tools that are, that are designed like that because again, I think it's been, not again, but like, I think it's, 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 it's a maturity question, right? Like I think like the cloud is evolving as a computing paradigm. And I think we're, we're at this, time where we can take a step back and say, okay, what is this computing platform? What, what, what is this platform, right? Like where we're building applications for. And, and, and AWS is not, is, not a, is not the platform. GCP is not the platform. To me, the platform is this abstract concept, kind of like POSIX, you know, thing, which I've, you know, I adore. And, and what, what was POSIX? POSIX was exactly the same exercise, you know, 30 years ago, I think, done for machines, right? It's like, okay, so what is the requirements from an operating system in an abstract way? It wasn't about a specific operating system. It was ab about applications. It's about how applications are interacting with this machine, right? Like with the operating system that runs the machine. 
And, and POSIX changed the world in many ways because it enabled this portability, it enabled applications to actually have like this solid abstraction that they can build against. And then operating systems could implement that abstraction and allow these applications to execute. And, you know, we get, have Unix and Linux and like the world is basically POSIX today, right? Like everything is POSIX. Besides some last, uh, the last resort, some Windows stuff that people are, um, I don't know, that, does that make any sense? Does that make any? Yeah, yeah. So I, I understand the concept that you've abstracted this and it would probably help if we went down with a really concrete example. So let's take somebody, I'll give, I'll talk in the area where I'm most knowledgeable. I spent the last, you know, seven years or so uh, building Ruby on Rails applications, right? And so we touch things like we'll maybe do some elastic search or you know we'll have a Postgres database, got some Rails models and views and all of that. And then we'll be using like you know postmark for our API to send out the emails and uh, you know all, all this different stuff. So like how would I managing a you know single tenant type like Rails application uh and and having you know a handful of these services, and of course we you know we we'll use like Jenkins, you know CI CD type situation, and um, we're using tons of you know gems as well for Ruby. So how would I look at okay what I currently do today, and how could I apply Wing Cloud to that? How do you, how do you deploy your application? Heroku, on Heroku. Yeah. So, it. Taking, basically, you need to like take a step back and think about like your your system, right? And so, what is what does your system contain? It contains some kind of a service, right? Like a long running service which runs your Rails application, but it also contains. <laughs> oh, nice! We got kids. I've got three kids. How old are yours? Hello. Uh, five hey, and buddy! A half. Your dad's the coolest person ever. <laughs> <laughs> he can't hear you, <laughs> and all or understand. You can tell him. You can tell him. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry I've about got, that. Uh, one girl and two boys. Oh wow, nice. How how old? My daughter is six, and my son is four and a half, and then my other son is about eleven months. Okay, so your your our our kids are the that age, which is a beautiful age. Yes, yes, it is. I, I always like talking with other dads in technology. I'll, I've got dad questions for you later. But sure. I'm really sure. trying to understand right now. So yeah, let's it, let's go back to your Rails application. Yeah. So basically you have a service, but you also have other resources, cloud resources that your application is using, right? And so you have your Postgres database, AWS and you have storage. like Postman, your yeah. some AWS stores. And so the idea is that you use Wing to describe your entire application. And so you write some Wing code that says new service, new Postgres server, new Postman system, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And when you say new service in Wing, you actually talk about a service in an abstract way. You don't care about where is it deployed, what technology do you use to deploy it. And for example, one of the things that we're working on right now is like supporting for containers. And so you'd be able to basically say, I want the service to run this little Docker image or Docker file, right? Like build this Docker file for you and make sure that it's running. And and, and so you get this basically abstract model of your application. And when you say new Postgres, then you use a wing library that implements Postgres, that implements the API of Postgres. And the, one of the key 
tenets of Wing is is what we call multi-platform or or it's basically dependency injection. You're familiar with the dependency injection, the idea of dependency yeah. injection? And so Wing is, is one of the interesting things about Wing is that it has basically built-in dependency injection in the language. And and what it what that means is when you do new cloud bucket or new cloud service, then you're basically instantiating abstract classes. Which is kind of mind-blowing a little bit, you know, because I grew up on like you can't instantiate abstract classes because abstract classes are not a concrete thing in memory. But for all intents and purposes, this is what you want to do, right? Like, I don't care who's in, how, how my cloud bucket is implemented. All I care about is, is this cloud bucket is, is a place where I can put objects and get objects and list objects. So it has like a very clear contract. Think POSIX again, right? Like there's, a, there's an interface that buckets have to implement, and, which is exactly how dependency injection systems work, right? Like basically, I'm like, give me something that implements this interface. And, and you say new cloud service. And so one of the key ideas in Wing is that every resource, every, every class in Wing ha can have multiple implementations based on the platform. So the platform that you're compiling to basically defines the implementation of those resources. And one of the platforms that we, all, we provide with Wing as a built-in platform is a simulated cloud. So it's a cloud simulator, basically. And so when you're doing new service, you're basically instantiating the container locally in your machine. I mean, you're doing new Postgres, you're basically starting a Postgres image on your machine. And from, an from the application's perspective, there's no difference, right? Like it's basically interacting between those resources. Is your, your application code can interact with the Redis, sorry, with the Postgres or with the Postman service or... And, and, and the beauty of that, of, of, being, of building above that abstraction is that now you can actually test everything locally and you can write unit tests that exercise the entire system, either on your local machine or in your CI system. And then you can decide how you want to deploy it. And you can, tick it, you can pick up what we call Wing Platform Libraries. So you can basically say, I want to use the platform library for Heroku, or I want to use a platform library for AWS and use Terraform. So it's basically a combination of the operating mm -hmm. system, AWS, and the instruction set, which is Terraform in this case, right? And you can also create custom platform libraries. So you can basically say, I want to, I want to build my own custom li platform library. And so let's say you're in an organization and you have some compliance rules or some policies or some, you want all the buckets I, to be... I, I get it. It took me 20 minutes, but I get it. You get that a lot? <laughs> it, it's my, it's my, it's my fault. And we're, we're, uh, you know, no, we're, no, no. we're tiny, we're just getting started. we're like, one of the things we're trying to learn how to do is like tell our stories. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the problem with it. So I'll share with you my, since I just, yeah. I think I got it, but I'll share with you sort of my journey of how I was thinking about it at the beginning, because I'm in you know, application development. I'm not a cloud ops person, you know, spending all my day dealing with that type of situation. I was thinking about how do I use this to build applications? That was my first thought. Uh, and then I understand now, um, my, my next train of thought goes over to, I do have friends and I do get to talk to people on the show that they're managing like crazy amounts of instances of various servers and booting stuff up constantly and they have incredibly complex Terraform and you know AWS config files and all of this stuff. And I can really see how if you're a cloud ops type 
person, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're a cloud ops type person and you have all these essentially, we'll call them properties like real estate, right? You have, uh, you know, this, you have storage, you've got, um, your Amazons, you've got your uh, Kubernetes clusters, you've got like all of these different things that you have to manage and the knowledge of all of them woven together exists sort of like in an abstract concept amongst the team of people who are working on them and you're instead saying we're going to create a language that takes it away from that team of it all kind of being in their active memory as humans and we're going to put it down into writing so that that whole entire team could just you know explode overnight and you guys don't skip a beat you go and you have your document that essentially you pull up your wing config or whatever you're calling it your wing cloud and you're like this is how our stuff operates is, am I kind of in the right neighborhood? You're in the right neighborhood, but not exactly reached the right house. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, <laughs> bring me home. <laughs> so there's something really interesting about the way you described it, which I, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And interesting is, you know, these, these, when, 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 when an organization uses the cloud, there's usually some kind of separation between the application and the platform. And, and in most cases, that uh, that separation is not very well defined, right? Like, and and I'll give you an example from, and I don't know if that resonates a lot, but like from the Kubernetes space, for example, where there's a cluster, right? The Kubernetes cluster, which is definitely part of the platform. But then there's a bunch of Kubernetes resources for the application. And those Kubernetes resources that are part of the application they're part of the platforms the sorry, the YAML files that you're applying to your Kubernetes cluster or the health charts that you're adding to your Kubernetes cluster. But they are part of the application, right? Like they're they're distinctly like every application that I create on this cluster would need those a copy of those of those you know resources in order to be able to deploy and the, the deployment and the service and the uh, ingress rules and the stuff that are specific to the application. However, because of the current tooling landscape and of the cloud, those resources are in a sense part of the infrastructure or part of the platform, right? Like the responsibility of those resources is either on the DevOps team or the platform engineering team, or they're kind of like partially owned by the developer because you talk to developers like, yeah, you know, the DevOps team told me that when I want to add an ingress rule to my application, I need to go to this repo and update this line in the Helm chart. I really don't know exactly what I'm doing, but it kind of works. And then I go and I commit this and I push it to my staging environment and then I can test it and verify that it's working. So you see, uh, the, what I'm trying, the point I'm trying to make is that there's this line between the application and the platform and developers aren't really able to maintain parts of the application that belong to the infrastructure that are above the line. I, I don't know, I, I completely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so to, to your point earlier about like knowledge, kind of like distributed knowledge and abstract knowledge. And, and so what we're trying to do is we're trying to basically formalize this line and, and give platform engineers and DevOps teams the ability to define what is the platform, right? Like what is the platform that their organization uses? And they can use a ready-made platform that we have, or they can completely customize it depending on their needs and on their 
you know, complexity and regulation and stuff like that. And and by defining this platform, they basically give developers the ability to build applications on top of that platform. And so you as an application developer, now you have this like high level language, strongly typed, um, ID supported, you know, you have like a great, a m- much better tool than going into like some repository and editing and help a home chart. And not only you have that tool, you can also run your entire application locally on your machine, which is something that is hard to do as the more you use the cloud, the more you lean on, you know, cloud resources, the harder it is to take your, yeah, you have, you say you have a monolithic application, but what about the Postgres and what about the emails and what about the, like all those things that you're thinking that are outside of your application, they're actually not really outside of the application. They're part of your application. Um, but the tooling today kind of dictates that you're thinking about them as a, as a as something that's outside of the application, if that makes sense. And and so Wing basically brings all of that together into like a single model that you can run locally. Uh, we're actually working on this uh, feature of preview environments, right? So you can basically push your code like Vercel has, right? Like you push your code to the repo. And you get access to an environment that basically has your latest app, you know, your, your latest code deployed, and you can play with it and test it and check that it's working. And includes it, it includes your Postgres and includes your Postman implementation, mm. like it includes everything your application needs, not just your monolithic process, because that's not the cloud. That's not how you build stuff on the cloud, right? Like these monolithic processes are just part of the picture. Does that make sense? I'm kind of getting it, yeah. I, I... <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to like explain it uh, without a, a demo. I agree. Yeah, I think <laughs> if I just saw it, it would be because when I saw your website, I was like, "Oh, that's that's awesome." <laughs> I, I see you have a playground, so let's tell people about that. There's a wing playground. Yeah, check out the tutorial. I think the tutorial should be a pretty good way to like get a. You know, it's really light and uh, quick. And I think it should give people a good sense of like the general ideas behind Wing and why why are we building a language? Why is why does it need to be a language, right? Like I think that's the first question a lot of people a lot of people are asking. That's better than a, a Terraform is just a config file, right? Well, if it's a language, you can do more stuff with it. If it's just like a config file, you're kind of limited. So so if you compare it to if you only take the infrastructure side, yes, you're right. But the beauty of Wing is what we call the in-flight phase. And that means that you're not only describing your infrastructure, you're also able to describe, if you want, you can also describe your application logic with Wing. And when you describe your application logic with Wing, that logic can seamlessly interact with the infrastructure. And so you can actually say bucket.put inside your application, inside your inside your in-flight code, and Wing will take care of all the gluing and wiring and permissions and everything that needs to happen in order for this in-flight code to interact with your infrastructure. And so this crossing these boundaries, call them space and time boundaries. I don't know if you want to hear this. This is a bit of a snooty. <laughs> I, I can give you like a little bit of a philosophical uh, view of this. Is like, yeah. think about think about you know, again, going back to like the reasons, the, the origins of, of um, programming languages. When you're, when you're writing code in a traditional programming language, 
The output is basically a list of instructions that go into a single CPU and are executed over time. So there's basically just a time dimension, right? It's a one dimension. Now, if you're building applications for the cloud, there's also a spatial aspect to it. Right? Like there's an architecture, right? Like there's code that runs in this container, in this container, in this Lambda function. You're building this distributed system. So the distributed system also has this architectural definition. And, and, and existing languages are only, descri only describing this one, you know, uh, one line of execution every time, like all, over time. So in a way, the pre-flight phase of wing is, is needed in order to describe this additional dimension, rather than it's basically this new dimension in the program that is the spatial dimension. So the pre-flight is basically a way to describe the, the architecture, the spatial. It's like, this is going to be here. This is going to be here. These are going to be connected. This is related to here. This is this, there's also like this uh, hierarchical structure in Wing. So you can basically compose things together. And so you can create classes and you can like put in the class a bunch of other objects. And once you do that, it'll create this abstract unit, right? This compo composable unit. And so this is the pre-flight. And the in-flight is the time dimension, right? Like this is what I need. This is, this is what happens over time in this specific machine every time I specify the in-flight. Uh, I don't know. And, uh, how, how do you, what do you think about this uh, analogy? I know I, I, I'm wondering if it's helpful or it's just more confusing. Well, I'm kind of getting it. Um, <laughs> okay, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of getting it. I feel like you should call Martin Fowler and say, <laughs> yeah. hey, bro, can you <laughs> write a book on this? Um, but yeah, look, when I started the podcast, I started like seven years ago. And for the first couple of years, I was still involved as a team lead of writing production code. In the past four years, I haven't been in it a whole lot. Um, I've also never gotten to the point where I'm managing like a large scale system in the sense that there's like hundreds of people involved and having to work together in configurations and permissions. I've always been startup, so I always have like God mode permissions. <laughs> you know, I just do yeah. what I want. I'm not filing tickets, requesting stuff. And, you know, I, I'm not, you know, building software that was required to have, you know, these crazy audit trails and all, all these different things. So some of the concepts you're talking about are a little bit new to me. Also, you guys, the, the reason why I, it caught my attention is because, you know, I know enough to know that I believe, like, if I had to bet money, I'd bet money that this is the future. Uh, simply because all you're doing is is following history, right? Exactly. You're, you're just I'm creating old another abstraction. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and I, I'm old enough to see it too, right? Because it started like I, I can't. I remember when I first found ORMs, right? And I was like, oh man, I was manually transacting with the database, you know, with PHP code, and you know, as needed. And I thought I was all cool because I abstracted some of this into a database class, and I could interact a little bit easier. Right? <laughs> I thought I was br brilliant. And then, and then I found frameworks and ORMs, and I was like, oh, there's an abstraction. Then they got more advanced. Uh, with with the newer databases that had come out, so you didn't have to think about the database as much, and you could literally define yeah. new tables by just adding like a symbol and a yeah. file, some you know, in the model file, and then everything and completely it just kept broke. Going and like then that. everything completely broke. Yeah, 
and then re- reincarnated <laughs> yeah. in like non-relational database. <laughs> yes, yes. And and so that just keeps going and it keeps going and you just you have to think less and less about it and the abstraction comes up. As long as that abstraction gives you speed, well speed is time is money, right? So if the abstraction buys you time and and makes you money through that, then people typically will adopt it because they're out there in the job market. Companies are trying to be competitive. They're trying to, you know, do more with less. It's an, it's, you know, it's a efficiency thing. Yeah. I mean, obviously I agree. (laughs) I always like to tell people, you know, because there's definitely a lot of, uh, it's interesting, but there's, there's, there's a lot of skepticism in the software industry about abstractions, which is, kind of like almost uh, oxymoron as far as I'm concerned, because there wouldn't be any software industry without abstractions, right? Like that's the the essence of software. And I always tell people, you know, like, do you know how many layers of abstractions you go through when when you move your mouse a little bit on your screen? You know, how many um, Mm -hmm. layers of, you know, and this this mouse is this idea, right? Like that you're like, oh, I'm just pointing on something. It's like even that is an abstraction, right? Like this, your brain is thinking about this little arrow as uh, you know, as something that allows you to point into something. Having said that, I also really um, respect the art and science of building abstractions, right? Like I feel like it's really, really easy to get them wrong, and it's really easy to screw them up, and it's really easy to create abstractions that are leaky. And I think that's been a very, are you familiar with that uh, terminology is like leaky abstractions? Instinctively, I, I would imagine yeah. it's like, you know, with, with Cucumber where you could kind of start describing code as plain English and writing tests and stuff, but it kind of didn't work very well. Is that what leaky is? Yeah, I mean, leaky abstraction is basically an abstraction that requires that you understand the underlying system. Okay. Right, yeah. that you can't really use in a, in a reasonable way without fully understanding the underlying system or not necessarily fully understanding is that the underlying system keeps like leaking out of the abstraction, right? Like to 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 the file system mm-hmm. example is like, think about the fact that you would, you know, maybe you would try to write a file and you'd have to know that you're running on a, on a, on a specific file system based and then, and you'd have to specify some ending character based on the specific file system that you're running. And so that means that this whole abstraction is worthless because you'd have to like know exactly which file system you're targeting in order to use this abstraction. So like why it's not an abstraction. I might as well just use the, the, direct, inter, the direct interface of that file system, right? I don't know if it was a good example, but the, the leaky abstractions are very, very common. I got and, that. and some people say that there are no non-leaky abstractions. Like so every abstraction to an extent is sometimes leaky. And even if it's like beautiful and like very solid, it will eventually somehow leak out uh, because systems are different, you know, and, 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 and platforms are different. And, and I, you know, if you use file watches and Node.js, you'll realize that they don't work the same way in Windows and in, on Mac and on Linux because, you know, the file system, the underlying system behaves differently. And then as much as they wanted to create this beautiful API, they they really failed. And then you have some specific flags for Windows and specific flags for. And and I think this is one of the hardest things to do when you're the first people 
the first person tried to create an abstraction for something like the cloud, right? And and I I don't think that we're the first, but I think like we're definitely really trying. <laughs> I think a lot of people tried and gave up. Uh, and and I think the timing there's a timing dimension here is like it depends on the maturity of the underlying model, right? like because when you want to create a good abstraction that abstracts you know two different systems really need those systems to have some stability and you really need to understand these two systems or end systems in order to be able to actually determine what's the right common denominator and what's the right intention of the user so that you can think about that intention when you're creating the abstraction and i think like that's 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 a matter of like the evolution of the cloud as a paradigm and you know how people are using it and you know i've spent about seven years at Amazon, and I've seen how Amazon has been kind of using the cloud and evolving its understanding of the cloud. And, and you know, there are still tons of services internally at Amazon that think about the cloud as a bunch of machines, right? Like that's, that's the abstraction that they use. But there's also tons of services at Amazon that use serverless computing and Lambda, and, and the cloud is just a bunch of functions and, and resources. And, and so it's really interesting to see how this our understanding of this uh, of, of this computing paradigm is evolving. And what we're trying to do is we're basically trying to codify that understanding, tr codify this these uh, th these ideas of what people perceive as what is the cloud. And that's why, you know, I gave you that example is like, when you're, you know, thinking about your real application, you're basically thinking about this long running service. And so that is in a way, the mental model you have when you're, when you, when you're, Maybe I'm proposing that that's maybe the mental model that you have. Yeah. Um, other people might say the mental model is event events, right? Like it's like you just you just implementing something that reacts to events, and then that's a very different mental model in terms of architecting your system and and how you how you want to describe your your system. And and so as I said, I, I agree with you. I think abstractions are king of software, of computing, of technology. That's how evolution happens. Uh, but I also think it's really hard to screw them up. And, and I think this is one of the reasons, you know, I'm a huge believer in open source because I think open source as a way of life, in a way, is a great way to make sure that you're constantly connected with reality and you're constantly connected with what people actually uh, you how people actually use what you're doing uh, because you get this like instantaneous feedback. You get these signals from the community about where you screwed up and where things are working. And so kind of like embracing the fact that software is malleable and, and organic and, and, and that's how I believe in building good abstractions is about giving that software to like evolve and, and get to get to the right level, right? And it's it's a it's really interesting. I love been doing it for many years. I've done that at, at AWS too. Uh, and I love I love I love this work. I feel like it's you know pure design work, right? Like it's kind of like trading off constantly and thinking about ergonomics and fun things. When you're selling to a company when this is becoming a, a thing, uh, what what's the business case. Like if I'm a CTO and I'm listening to this and I said, ah, I just listened to this guy talk about this wing cloud thing for a little bit. It sounds like it could be interesting. I might go to my DevOps person or 
you know, one of my uh, engineering leads and tell them to check it out. But before I do that, I want to know, like, let's say the DevOps people and the engineering people are like, yeah, this is cool. Before I even present it to them or talk to them or show it to them, what's the business, like, what would this do for my business? Like, why would I care? Why would my executive peers care about this? So in a sense, it's basically why platform engineering teams of platform engineering, the platform engineering discipline has started to kind of emerge. And, and the way I'm thinking about it is this goal of platform teams and platform organizations is to give developers the ability to self, to be self-serve, to self-serve, to to be independent and build independently within the boundaries and constraints and regulation and compliance and platforms of the organization, right? Like that's the reason platform engineering teams exist, or, or at least that's p half the reason, let's say. Like half, the other half is usually to operate the platform that the organization is maintaining. Uh, but there's their service providers in many ways. Like their goal is to provide service to the organization so that developers can independently operate and won't have like too much friction between developers and, and the platform, uh, again, within those boundaries. And so in a sense, this is why, this is what Wing is offering, right? Like it offers this decoupling. It offers the ability of, for platform engineers to define the platform and for developers to build applications on top of those platforms. And when I say applications, I mean infrastructure and runtime code that are combined together, right? Like the, so applications that not only use, that not only run on a single container, which is, you know, we talk to tons of people and like, Every, almost everybody's using Kubernetes nowadays, which is amazing. I think like it's crazy to see how this uh, technology is so popular, but there's nobody that only, only uses Kubernetes. So there's always like, you know, with the example that you gave with your Rails application, there's always cloud, right? The, 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 the power of the cloud is the ability to lean on those resources, to lean on those services. And, and what I'm seeing a lot is that in the Kubernetes space, Again, the same way you've just, you know, you've talked about those external resources, that basically everything that's outside the Kubernetes cluster is considered an external thing. And you see all these hacks and um, tweaks and customizations and weird, you know, setups just in order to give developers the ability to build their application code. Um, and so the ability to kind of like create this boundary between platform and application. And that boundary is enabling developers to run locally, which is in many ways a, a superpower for developers. Um, it enables developers to create to write unit tests for the cloud, which is something that I think is almost a holy grail. I don't think that anybody's really doing that, but because we have the simulator, then now I can actually write a test that crosses my entire system, right? Like it's not just testing my my application code, it puts a request into my API gateway, it checks that the, the request goes into my application, sends a message, puts a file in the bucket, and I can write a test that basically checks this whole thing. And that test runs locally on my machine and runs in my build and can run on every cloud target that I'm compiling to. Say if, if, if there is a situation where, and we've seen that a lot with vendors, right, that, that build SaaS, that build service Software as a service that needs to be self-hosted sometimes. 
if there's a situation where you actually need to deploy your application in customer accounts, uh, and those customer accounts could be in different cloud providers, then you're in you're in hell basically, right? Like, and so you're either just like shoving, trying to shove everything into your Kubernetes cluster, which is not a good. It won't work because if you want a bucket, it's not going to be in your Kubernetes cluster. Or you end up again with like creating these like external connectivity, and and you know we talk to customers that yeah, I have to maintain a different Terraform for every cloud provider because those are different. And so this portability is something that's very, very valuable to some customers. And, and the other thing is basically uh, preview environments, right? Like the ability to actually like instantly interact with, you, with your code before it's deployed, before it's merged. That's also something that's getting harder and harder the more you're using the cloud and you're leaning on the cloud. And the last thing is, is an application management experience that's basically kind of like after you've deployed your system to production and you know that's something that we don't have yet but that's where we're going in a way is once you have your application deployed into production then we're going to give you this console this application management console that allows you to interact and see your application with the same view that you used during development so kind of like again putting this line between application and platform and then following the slide throughout the application development lifecycle, which is kind of like the big vision, I guess. Did that make sense? Yeah, so I would say if, if the question would be, you know, how, how is this like meaningful to the business, it would make your platform engineering teams more efficient and the developer experience higher quality. Yes, and enable some use cases that you don't have today, like testing, like portability across providers. Those are things that are really hard to, really hard to achieve. And most people just give up on them. It's like, I'm just gonna not, not gonna, not gonna test. Just to me is, is a really, really big thing. How mature is this project? So we're super early. Basically released the first open source just the beginning of the year. And we hope to release our beta, basically, to get to beta uh, by the end of this year. Um, and, but, and again... Oh, so you're for, not something we can buy today? Nope. Oh, we're, starting okay. to onboard, we're starting to onboard some private beta partners for those commercial offerings like preview environments and application management, but it's not open for sort of service yet. And and the open source project is still very early as well. It's a big, it's a big endeavor. But I'm we're super excited by it. And we're using, you know, the stack ourselves and we're really having fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. I think you guys are definitely doing something unique and interesting. And I look forward to, you know, continuing to follow as you guys, you know, grow and explore and find your thing. If I had to put money on it, I'd bet you'd end up like competing with a Terraform or a cloud formation or something like that. And then you would just do that, but better. Uh, that's <laughs> for me. I, if I just take a step back and I, and I walk away and I'm going to go talk to, you know, my buddy Derek about it, uh, who's also an engineer. And I, if I were to say, Hey, I talked to this guy today, they're doing something like a more interesting, like think of if, 
Terraform and cloud formation. Those instead of just being like text files, at least they were when I was using them. It's like you got a programming language wrapped up in it, so you can do more with it. If I said that to him, he'd be like, "Oh, that's pretty cool. Let's go check out what the more is you can do with it." And that's how my brain will process this conversation, even if it's inaccurate. (laughs) No, I think I think it, it it it's definitely it's definitely a viable use case for for Winglang and. As I said earlier, Wingling, Wingling compiles to Terraform. It compiles to CloudFormation. And, and so it's not like we're trying to replace Terraform because I think that Terraform is solving a very specific problem, is solving the resource provisioning problem, which is a really important piece of you know, building, applica- building stuff on the cloud, delivering to the cloud. Um, and so in that sense, it's not competing with Terraform, but it's maybe competing with HCL, right? Like it's the, the, the language for describing those resources. I do think that one of the interesting things that more that one of the more interesting aspects is this abstraction. And to that end, not neither Terraform nor CloudFormation, like most of those solutions are low level, right? Like they're still working at the at the at the level of the cloud resources, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to raise the abstraction level and create um, create an API, create a library that allows you to build applications without caring about those nitty gritty details of the of the of the of the, of the DevOps in a sense. Well, I'm glad that there's smart people like you out there pushing the world forward. <laughs> <laughs> I am I am by no means an expert in that area. No, I mean to me it's really inspiring to to have such an amazing, you know, backers and partners and you know, I I, I feel I I was I was I worked many years in, you know, in Amazon and before that Microsoft and not you know, and and kind of like tapping into the startup ecosystem and venture funding ecosystem is like finding all these amazing investors and and partners and people who are really into making an impact and and helping solve real problems. Um, it's inspiring, you know, for us being able to like go and build this thing. To me, is like I didn't have a choice, right? Like I have to build this thing, and and so the fact that I was able to find these amazing partners and backers is 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 really inspiring and i'm really excited about the fact that humanity's reached a point where you know a group of uh geeks uh sprinkled around the world was able to like go and build this thing it's like okay let's just you know go try and do this right help 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 change the the way people build applications for the cloud so to me it's really amazing you know i feel like it's uh it's pretty cool Yeah, well, if you make people's lives easier, they'll line up and hand you their money. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.